1: I'm Shanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho.
2: People that show love to me, I forever got their back.
1: Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go
3: wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Hello?
2: We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all
0: that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that.
2: When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us.
3: File Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder,
2: Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. And so I had an epiphany. I said, two is not going to work. He'll win games. I mean, Trubisky wins games. He's not going to be what we think he is. He's not going to be what I think he is.
4: So yesterday he debuts.
2: And that was my epiphany. He looks small. He doesn't have a dynamic arm. Coaching staff protected him. Had eight first downs and 90 net passing yards. He was bad on third down, and they almost never maintained drives. I'm not making a judgment just off one game, but when I see stuff, I'm gonna say stuff. This that to a thing, that's what I saw. I, I see small, I don't see dynamic. I think in this league, you gotta be one or two things. You gotta be like 28 of the 30 best quarterbacks I've seen in my life are big men. I'm 6'2. They're, they're taller than me, slightly, or above. Aaron Rodgers is on the small end, 6'2 two and they They're big men, and if they're not, Fran Tarkin and Russell Wilson, Michael Vick, they run around like crazy, open up passing lanes. The only exception is Drew Brees, and boy, you're asking a lot for a college kid to come into the NFL and say, all right, you're small and not very mobile. You've got to be Drew Brees to win.
5: Welcome, everybody, to the AFC East Roundup podcast. I'm your host. Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. We are the hosts of the Rock Power Report podcast. And that was Colin Cowherd from Fox Sports 1 on Tua's first game. And just, just telling everybody how he feels about
3: it. Yeah, Drew had, oh! yeah, dude had a, an epiphany. He was all in on Tua, and then now he's all out. But, hackery! Can
5: we just call Hackery when we see it? god
3: everybody forgets the uh key word to his job title he's a tv personality personality it's never about what you know it's how it's presented is
5: that why we do so well no <laughs> we have no personality lord knows you and i have no personality no oh good lord folks welcome to week eight here at the afc's roundup we're here for quarterly reports Quick look at the standings. We've got the Buffalo Bills at 6-2 and, and in first place. With their first home win over the Patriots since 2011, the Bills tighten their grip on the AFC's division title. We saw that with an addition of a few pieces returning to health, our team is starting to round to form in terms of the rushing attack. Our running backs carried our offense to victory in a poor-weather game, something Bills fans I think would have had little to no confidence in just a week or two ago you got the Dolphins at 4-3 and three in second place in the AFC East. I still love saying that. The Dolphins in second place.
3: Sounds a lot better than who's in third place.
5: 4-3, and three, Tua time got off to kind of an inauspicious start, which I think is what prompted a lot of Collins' criticism. He required help from both the special teams and the defense. But ultimately, the Dolphins landed another W and they're keeping pace in the AFC's race over the plummeting Patriots. You get the Patriots at 2 and 5 at sitting in third place who are sinking to their lowest win total through 7 games since 2000. Literally the turn of the century.
3: Well, I know the last time there were three games under 500, Bill Clinton was the
5: president. Chris they they missed the playoffs that year that they started I mean this is the worst start they've had since then. Given the win totals that already exist in the AFC and three conference losses, even a multi-game winning streak—I remember asking you about this on Sunday during the game. Do you think that a multi-game winning streak at this point would be enough to put the Patriots into contention?
3: Probably not. I mean, they get—they're way on. They, got, they already have five losses. Generally, it's not far-fetched that a nine-and-seven team gets in. But it's hard. Yeah, it's harder. Usually usually around the NFL, it's 10 wins and you're in, is usually the the term used for getting into the playoffs. They generally just have one, maybe two games to play with to get in the playoffs.
5: Mm -hmm. And now, knowing what we know about this team and watching how they've played against upper echelon competition, it's hard for me to see a streak like that taking place. And then you have the Jets. (laughs) Oh, boy. 0-8 in fourth place. In losing to Kansas City, they not only failed to survive the largest spread of the NFL season. Let that sink in for a second.
3: It was, what, 19 and a half?
5: We talked about how I don't gamble anymore in last week's podcast. That was a sucker's bet. When I saw that spread, I said, there is no way. I mean, you and I were recently you know, talking to Reed Ferguson, long snapper for the Buffalo Bills. Yep. And he said, you look at the last place team and you, generally speaking, in any given NFL season, the difference in terms of overall talent between the last place team and the first place team isn't a ton.
3: No, it's very minimal. And a lot of it is mentally.
5: Well, It's mental. A lot of it's coaching. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you can have deficiencies. I think that if you took that a step further and said hey between basement teams and wildcard teams the difference probably isn't that big you had some bounces that didn't go your way you probably got some key injuries and your coaching probably wasn't great but even then those teams go on to cover the most ridiculous spread I've ever seen in an NFL football game in my life Chris I started to get the itch in my palms I was like oh my god
3: you're like Kramer
5: And I'm glad I didn't. Yes, and I'm glad I didn't because I would have taken the Jets with all of those points and I would have looked like a horse's ass. They're on pace now for the worst scoring differential in NFL history. And they're continuing to ship players out for future considerations as their fan base has essentially turned its attention to the 2021 draft already.
3: Yeah, as you should. What they traded away, Avery uh, Williamson to Pittsburgh.
5: Yeah, a linebacker. To, to to the best defense in football that felt like they needed linebacker depth. Yeah, from I all. wonder if there's a team out there somewhere that might have been able to use a linebacker.
3: Well, you know, you're not going to be able to get a guy traded to you within division. That's just generally not how that works.
5: They're the Jets. We don't know what stupidity they're capable of, Chris. Let's not shortchange them. I was going to give you
3: my one takeaway from the Jet game, and that is... Uh this week is the final week of Joe Benino on WFAN. What he, a
5: depressing he thing. He
3: retired as Craig Carton has come out of prison and back to WFAN is being paired with Evan Roberts and they're kind of forcing in Joe Benino into retirement whether that's his I mean he is 67. So it, I, I thought he was a way younger, and that might be because of how many times he says the word bro.
5: <laughs> I was going to say, he, he sounds younger because bro. Yeah. Bro, bro. What are we talking about here, bro? Bro. Listen, bro. if that, if an ex-con forcing a 67-year-old radio broadcaster who use it, overuses the word bro off like syndicated radio isn't the most New York City thing you've ever heard, I don't know what is. But with that, folks, we are here at Week 8, the second quarter poll of the NFL season. And so with that, it's time for quarterly reports. And we have a full slate of guests tonight. We've got Mike DeBate from Lockdown Patriots. We've got El Tiago, We've got Scott Mason. We've got, oh my God, it, Chris, these are the conversations that I live for. So we kick things off tonight, looking at the New England Patriots, who just lost in Buffalo to the Bills, twenty-four to twenty-one. And on the line, we have Mike Debate of Lockdown Patriots. How are you doing tonight, sir?
1: I'm doing well, as well as can be expected after Sunday. But uh, you know, we're we're surviving up here. Let's put it that way. No, getting aside, it's always an honor to join you guys. You know
5: that, and we appreciate having you. So now we just, in our, in our Rock Pile Report podcast this week, that aired last night, we kind of broke down our takeaways from the game and just what we thought philosophically about the the victory over your team and what the loss showed, not just about, not just about the game itself, but about what the overarching, I guess the value of Belichick and the specter of the, the What the New England Patriots have been kind of looming over the AFC East as a division. We're finally seeing the sun past all those clouds if you're every other team but the Patriots. How What's it been like on the other side of the fence?
1: Well, in a lot of ways, I think it's been an eye-opener for Patriots fans. I think it's been an eye-opener for fans of all the other 31 NFL teams, especially the teams in the AFC East. Look, now you're absolutely right. There's not only a level playing field, but the scales have tipped in the other direction, and I think we're seeing that. Look, Bill Belichick will always be able to field a team that's going to be competitive i know patriots fans don't want to believe that right now i know a lot of other fan bases would rather just ignore that fact but he will keep this team competitive it might not be this year but there will be a a time and place where the new england patriots will once again be competing for the division title look bottom line can't expect a team that's had all of the losses that they've had uh, to maintain that type of you know mastery over the division that they've had, especially when you look at the improvements that teams like Miami and especially Buffalo have made, they've definitely overtaken the Patriots, even if they were a quote-unquote full strength. I still think it would have been a very difficult run for the Patriots to win this division because of how much improved Buffalo has been, and even Miami for that point. I still think The Patriots would have been right in the thick of things trying to compete for a division title, but at the same time... Um, you know you've you've experienced an awful lot of loss. You saw the impact of the loss of Tom Brady. I think for the last few weeks now, the Patriots had such a synergy and such a familiarity with the way Tom was able to run this offense. There's growing pains with Cam, and that's not to say that he can't be successful here. Still believe very much that he can be, but there's going to be a time, or at least a little bit of time, that it's going to take for him to be able to get used to that. And of course, the difficult losses that they've suffered on defense. Again, we saw that on Sunday as well the Bills were able to run at will against this team and the Patriots run defense has long been considered one of their stronger suits Uh, this year you're definitely not seeing that so big step back for New England big step forward for Buffalo Uh, credit the Buffalo Bills they went on took this game. I've seen a lot of Patriots fans saying, oh, well, the Patriots gave it away. No, they didn't really give it away, folks. I mean, I know Cam fumbled you know, at the end of the game, and everybody's blaming him for that. But you got to credit Buffalo for playing very well on both sides of the ball. I was impressed by what I saw Sunday.
5: It's the first time that we've ever led from wire to wire. It's the first time the Bills never trailed. It's the first time playing the New England Patriots that I can remember where we didn't trail in the game.
3: Uh, I think the last time was uh, back when they had uh, either Steve Grogan or Hugh Millen as their quarterback.
5: (laughs) No, I, I, maybe it was when Rex Ryan shut out Jacoby Brissett in a game that everyone thought was the changing of the guard. And we were, I I get it. People say, Hey, Drew, don't get caught up in hyperbole, but here's what I saw. And and I want to pick your brain about this. I saw a Patriots team that flinched in the moment. Because that's been the thing. That's been the Achilles heel of the Buffalo Bills against the New England Patriots, is that we were always the team making the mistake. The Patriots were always the team capitalizing on said mistake. But you saw in the Denver game where Drew Locke goes out and throws two picks in the last six minutes of the game, and it doesn't end up in enough points to win. I think they scored. The Patriots end up with six points off two turnovers, and it costs them the football game. And then,
1: yeah, absolutely. You,
5: it, well, I was going to say, and then you watch against the bills where it's like, OK, here's a drive where we're going down, not even just to take the lead, maybe to take the lead permanently with no time left on the clock. We can drain this thing down, go down there and win it. And again, the Patriots just flinch and they come up with nothing. That lack of composure, yeah, for lack
1: of a better term. Yep.
5: <laughs> so to your point, I, I want to hear I, I guess I want to hear your thoughts about that aspect of all
1: this. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways you hit the nail on the head. It's a different type of vibe that you're getting from the New England Patriots, whereas in years past, you know, that two-minute drill was, was Tom Brady's bread and butter, folks. I mean, that's where he shined. That's where he usually came through. Yeah, there were certainly times where, you know, it worked out better than others. There were times where it didn't work out so well for the New England Patriots, but more often than not... When the game was on the line and the Patriots had a chance to win the game, they usually pulled it out. We're not seeing that in New England this year. And again, that's not necessarily a knock on Cam Newton and saying, well, Tom Brady's not here. Cam Newton can't do what he can do. I think in a lot of ways it's been a combination of a lot of things with the Patriots, and I'm not just going to blame injuries or COVID or anything like that because plenty of teams have had to deal with a lot and a lot of you know exterior factors that have contributed to maybe lackluster play or things of that nature. I think the play calling has been a little suspect in New England. A lot of it has surprised me. Uh, I think Josh McDaniels for the last couple of weeks, although it did get better on Sunday, against the Buffalo Bills, but I think a lot of the play calling we've been seeing for the last two weeks has been hearkening back to that Erhard Perkins type of Um, Brady, uh, you know, offensive system that the Patriots ran so well, that's not Cam Newton's strength, and to try to plug him into that is probably a little bit unfair to Cam, and I think it's unfair to the people around him. Uh, The second is, uh, you know, lack of depth at uh, the offensive skill position players, Uh, notably the wide receivers and the tight ends. I mean, we're seeing tight ends right now. Ryan Izzo is being asked, and we discussed this the last time we talked, to be the number one tight end for this team, and he simply not that. He's at best a tight end too most likely a tight end and three someone that can come in give you situational blocking maybe make a reception here and there but to ask him to be rob gronkowski or you know anyone to that (laughs) level is certainly not fair to him um and then the wide receivers julian edelman obviously has been banged up we know that now he's on ir with uh with a knee injury uh harry being out with a concussion uh you know your your wide receiver core this weekend was demir bird jacoby myers and Gunnar rochelski and I thought Jacoby played a solid game for the Pats, but that's not going to instill the fear of anything into a defense, especially one like the Buffalo Bills that is capable of making plays. So I think, that, yeah, in a I lot think the of most ways,
5: damning thing, a lot of
1: factors involved.
5: We talked about it in the Rockwell Report podcast that aired yesterday. No passes of more than 15 or more air yards. The, the game plan was never to air it out, never to scare the safeties out of the box, You had to know that was going to be problematic, and yet the play calling allowed for it. I mean, I think one of the the things we, we brought up former Bills head coach, Mike Malarkey, in that very first possession where it's third and 12 and they call a draw play. Essentially, you're punting at that point, right? Like, is that you just waving the white flag? And we talked a little bit about what that said about their faith in Cam at that point after watching him badly throw a ball directly in front of a wide receiver. He had his feet set. He had no excuse for skipping that ball. And yet it happened. And the very, and so your coaching staff's response was, okay, we don't trust him anymore. Let's just run a draw, punt, and let's hope our defense holds. And it didn't. And that's very unpatriots like, but it's also, I almost feel like an indictment of Cam Newton.
1: The American 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 in a little ways, I think it uh, it is necessarily an indictment on the way the offense has gone so far this year. I don't necessarily know if it's an indictment on Cam himself, although a lot of people took that fact that the Patriots went for the field goal on third and one when you're looking at uh, the, uh, the half right in front of you. A lot of people thought they should have taken a shot at the end zone. Being at the Buffalo 19, you're close enough. You have an opportunity to shoot for the end zone. You have to at least take a shot. Cam was saying all week long, he's been pressing. Uh, he's been, uh, you know, uh, really overthinking a lot of things. He's really he's feeling like he's been uncomfortable because of that. I think in a lot of ways, that definitely sat in with Bill Belichick. It sat in with Josh McDaniels. You look at what they did, and they really were a little bit conservative in play-calling. And then when they took chances, they might have been unnecessary chances. The onside kick tied at 14, for example. A lot of people have been criticizing Belichick and McDaniels for making that call, mostly Belichick's call on that. But At the same time, I think what you're trying to do is trying to find a spark offensively, something that's going to get this offense going, and there just hasn't been that. Once they had the faith in Cam, put the ball in his hands, unfortunately it got punched loose by Justin Zimmer, and that's something that the Patriots... It's a bitter pill to swallow in New England, but if you're the Buffalo Bills, you're looking at it and saying, you know what, we know that if the next time we have to face this team, even though it's in Foxborough, we know we can go toe-to-toe, go wire-to-wire like you said, hold the lead, and be able to to sustain it. And that's something against the Patriots team that I don't know if a lot of divisional opponents could say for the last almost two decades. It's definitely a changing of the guard. There's no question about it.
5: So now when we talk about quarterly reports – we, we did this fun exercise earlier in the year. I want to revisit it. The last month has been one unlike almost, I mean, think about it. Most Patriots fans young enough to listen to podcasts have never seen a season like this from the Patriots in their lives. <laughs> we have truly entered the winter of the Patriots discontent. <laughs> I feel like that's where we are. And so with that in mind, we look at the things that you would grade as satisfactory, needing improvement, incomplete, and we're looking for a grade. Now, first of all, on the needs improvement side, we talked a little bit about it here as we kind of recap the loss to Buffalo. I think that there's a needing of improvement of play calling. What would you say to some of the things that you think need to be fixed?
1: In terms of play calling?
5: Just in terms of what you believe to be a problem over the last month with this Patriots team.
1: Uh, I would say play calling is at the top of the list. That's something that I think needs to be addressed. I think you need to see a little bit more of what we saw in drips and drabs on Sunday. But again, not full force the Patriots are at their strength right now when they're utilizing the short passing game, when they're utilizing the passes to open up play action. Allow Cam to run the ball. Allow him to incorporate zone reads. Incorporate RPOs. Be able to run the offense in his image. If he does that, he opens things up for the running game. And we've seen that the Patriots can effectively run the ball. Damian Harris has looked great so far. So that to me is something that if the Patriots improve offensive play calling and they tailor make this offense a little bit more to cam strengths, I think you'll see them move the ball with a little bit more ease. You'll see, in a lot of ways, what we saw from them in week one against the Miami Dolphins and in week two against the Seattle Seahawks, albeit in a loss, they move the ball very well, especially in the second half of that game. Um, other things that need uh, improvement, drastic improvement, the run defense. Uh, the Patriots have been run on quite often. They've had difficulty stopping traditional runners. I was very impressed by the efforts by uh, Zach Moss and Devin Singletary on Sunday. Both of those guys looked very effective. Stopping mobile quarterbacks continues to be a problem for this team. Josh Jowan had a few effective runs. Uh, that will continue to be a problem unless they shore that up. Some of that's been through de- uh, you know injuries and difficulties on the defensive line. Bo Allen, obviously Obviously, Bill Belichick revealed earlier this week the nose tackle that they got to replace Danny Shelton hasn't played a snap this year. He will not. He's not going to be ready. One of the big reasons why they signed Isaiah Mack or claimed him off waivers from the Tennessee Titans on Tuesday is because they need a big body presence in the middle of that defensive line to be able to shore up the run. Uh, linebacker play needs to be a lot more efficient. Uh, I'm a big fan of Juwan Bentley, but he's been called upon to play the role of three different linebackers and it's simply not fair. He's trying to play Dante Hightower. He's trying to play Kyle Van Noy, He's trying to play Jamie Collins. Those are all three formidable players on their own and they're essentially asking Juwan to do the work of all three of those guys. Just simply impossible. So that needs to improve. Um, Those are the areas right now that are glaring to me, obviously. The Skill position players on offense, uh, they need to get more continuity out of their wide receivers. They need to get some production out of their tight ends. That's almost been a non-existent position for the Patriots this year. So a lot in terms of areas of needs improvement, uh, those would be, I would say, play calling. I would say, uh, you know, defensive line, linebackers, and of course, the offensive skill position players.
5: What are the things that have gone well that give you hope for the remainder of 2020?
1: Uh, I think the offensive line has been excellent, despite of all of the difficulties that they've had. Guys playing out of position. Uh, the loss of Dante Scarnecchia, who was the longtime offensive line coach up here in New England, a legendary coach uh, that just seemed to always press the right buttons at the right time. Uh, his loss, and coupled with a lot of the injuries they've had on the offensive line, I really thought this was going to be a difficult year for them, but they've stepped up big time. Mike Onwainu, who is their, uh, their rookie uh, offensive lineman, uh sixth round pick a lot of people uh you know looked at this kid under the radar I raved about this pick right off the bat because I knew the type of player that they were getting. I had scouted Michigan a lot. Actually, Cesar Ruiz, their center, was the guy that I had my eye on for the Patriots in the first round. And because of that, it caused me to take a, a sharper look at a guy like Onwenu. and he's got a massive wingspan. His footwork is so impressive for a guy his size. He's played out of positions, turned in three clean sheets this year so far as a rookie. That's almost unheard of. He's been a huge bright spot. So the offensive line, I think has been excellent clearly uh the bright spot of their uh uh, their offense and the running backs i think have been fairly good um damian harris i mentioned him a moment ago this is a kid that can definitely run the ball with power he's got that extra bit of burst that we just haven't seen from sony michelle um he's been effective and he can catch the ball out of the backfield as well and on defense the secondary i think has been satisfactory i think they've been everything that they that the patriots need them to be but not necessarily what the Patriots hoped they would be in terms of being able to carry this team. Stefan Gilmore has had a little bit of a regression from last year. Uh, he's definitely been hampered by the knee injury the last couple of weeks, so we'll see what continues to happen with him. J.C. Jackson's been phenomenal. I think they're best defensive player this year so far. Uh, but the offensive line and the running backs definitely stand out as the strength of this team. <sighs>
5: How crazy is it that a first round, well what a first round draft pick out of Georgia, fourth round draft pick out of Alabama.
2: Roll tide!
1: <laughs> <Woo>! That's <laughs> what I like to say.
5: If you It is, it's up, yeah. If you had to grade the last 4 weeks of Patriots football, where would you put it?
1: I think a lot of people are going to be surprised when I say this. I would probably grade them as about a C plus, because I think that at 2 and 5, a lot of people would expect, oh, a D or an F or anything of that nature – But the Patriots have shown flashes in areas where they've shown that they can hang with pretty much any team that they're playing. The problem is they're not doing enough to win these games. That's the difference between Patriots football in 2020 and what we've seen for the last few years in New England. New England seemed to always find a way to get the win, even when it seemed like they didn't deserve it or they couldn't quite get it. They still found a way. This team's not finding a way. They're actually, in the opposite, finding a way to lose games. And that's been the big difference. So I'm not going to sit there and say that they've been terrible or abysmal on both sides of the ball. I think there have been times where they've looked pretty efficient on both sides of the ball and capable of winning games. But until they start actually winning these games... They're not going to deserve a higher uh, grade from me. So C, maybe a little over aggressive, but I'll stand by it because I think that there's been enough flashes on both sides to warrant at least some credit for the job they've done so far.
5: Mike, you're a pro's pro. I love the fact that you come on here. You, you're pragmatic. You, you do pander a little bit to us as your Bills fan hosts, and yet at the same time, you you're fairly honest about what you feel in regards to your football team. A question: Where do you hail from?
1: I'm from Rhode Island. I uh, that's that's essentially where I've been from my entire life. So uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Southern New Englander, and uh, you know, grew up in this area. Grew up, you know cheering and, and, and idolizing the team that I now cover, and it's tough to be objective sometimes. It definitely is. I mean, there's definitely a part of you that always the fan consistently comes out in, in you no matter what, but I try to be as objective as I possibly can with this team and with their opponents as well. Uh, one thing that being in this business has taught me is that you can develop an appreciation for any team, Jets not included, and uh, you know, you can really, <laughs> really understand exactly like that little dig there, guys, uh, but you can really get to appreciate... Uh, you know some of the uh, the greatness that you can see throughout the division, throughout the conference, and really throughout the league. So, yeah, I'm a native uh, New Englander. I know that's probably not a shock to people. They can probably tell that I'm a fan of the team as well. But uh, it's um, it's it's always an eye opener and always interesting. But it's I, hopefully it's made me a little more objective in the long run.
5: The reason I ask is because you don't have nearly the just atrocious accent that our uh, our that uh, Christian Simonelli. And Mark Schofield seemed to, seemed to share. The only two Schoen's other... getting better. The only Schoen's other two... getting better, so yeah. He is getting better, but it's not great. It's not great by any stretch. And they're the only other two Patriots uh, fans or, or podcasters or bloggers that will allow on this show, sir. You are in rarefied <laughs> air, and you're probably the most am, well-spoken out of all of them. So take that with you.
1: Oh, well, I... I well, I do appreciate that. I am in rarefied air, and I'm in an elite company there uh, to be mentioned alongside Mark and Christian. Who I'm big fans of both of those guys, but uh, it's an honor to come on. I'm always always happy to do it. And uh, if you'd like, I can I can drop my eyes a little bit, and I can uh, start uh, talking maybe a there little is. bit uh, like this, and uh, and and bring bring out the bring out the, the the Massachusetts accent for you a little bit there. But uh, <laughs> and, you know, if, if if it makes you if guys if makes you feel more comfortable, guys, I'd be more than happy to talk like this. I and, uh, I uh, love soundbites that way.
5: I love Mike Tabate. <laughs> Tell our listeners where they can find you on social and what you have coming up this week in Locked On Patriots.
1: Uh, you can find me on social media on the Bird app, as Mark likes to say, uh, at M D A B A T E F P C. Uh, you can definitely find me each and every day on the Locked On Patriots podcast uh, this week. We're going to start dipping our toe into Jets Week. We'll do a little uh, analysis of the Isaiah Ford trade, uh, um, you know, and what that means for the Patriots on Wednesday show. And then, of course, Thursday and Friday is going to be all about the Jets leading into the Monday Nighter this week.
3: Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division and championship futures all day every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag That's BlueWire all one word. BetOnline your online sportsbook experts
5: Huge shout out to Mike. We appreciate appreciate the fact that we have multiple Patriots fans who are willing to come on this show considering how much shit we sling at them.
3: Well, we only allow three. I know. Christian, three. Mike, and Mark Schofield.
5: And as I always say, the rest of their whole, the rest of the fan base, the city, the area, in fact, the area of the country they play in. If someone were to come to me tomorrow and say, hey, did you hear? Oh, yeah, the New England territories just sank into the ocean like Atlantis. I, I wouldn't. Chris? this is the response you would get. (gasps) Yep. (laughs) Yep, that's a thing that happened. I wouldn't care. And it's because of the New England Patriots. So that's one more thing that they've done. But the Buffalo Bills beat them. We won 24-21. We've exercised yet another demon. Think about this. In Sean McDermott's tenure, the list of things that he's accomplished as our coach. He broke the drought in his first year.
3: What about your opinion of him on Sundays the last couple weeks?
5: Listen, when I'm hammered and angry, I I th- I think blame the extension for this. But, folks, I've been known to invoke the name almost like Voldemort, how he's he who shall not be named amongst uh, people who live in the magical realm of Harry Potter. I sometimes will get hammered and angry and invoke the name Dick Jerronn. When I see this football team floundering its way through games, and I say to myself, I pray to God that we didn't just Dick around ourselves and extend a coach who could end up getting fired in the middle. Of this thing. Because the way I'm for some aspects of this football team, what I'm seeing, it's rough. And I mean, if there's a place where we want to start our quarterly report here, Chris, for, uh, for the second month of the NFL season, I mean, it's just about how four weeks can change your outlook on everything. The last time we sat here and had this conversation, the Buffalo Bills were 4-0. We were leading the NFL in a bunch of major offensive statistics. And Josh Allen was in the MVP conversation. Do you remember that? Yep, I remember that. Now we sit here being 6-2. and two, And despite that record, it's hard to argue that some of the shine hasn't come off of this football team. Do you still feel as good about the directions of things as you did last month?
3: Um, slightly less than that. Slightly less. Slightly less. Expand
5: We've, on that for me. Well,
3: you know, I, I just well I look at our schedule and what we have coming up. You know, Seattle, Arizona, the Chargers. I feel like the way the Chargers have been playing, we're just going to steal that game. And then we do get San Francisco, and they are. Beat to shit.
5: I mean, it sounds like we're going to miss Garoppolo and Kittle.
3: Yes, definitely, definitely Kittle at least. So we're getting some some luck there. But like, you know, the last couple weeks, you get know, Kansas City, Tennessee, and then this week we got Seattle. Like these are the cream of the crop teams in the National Football League that we're playing. And if you want to be talked about in those conversations, then you have to. Show up for these games.
5: And it's hard because you look at the last month of football we just played. You, yes, you're 6-2. and two, But you lost two bad games against teams that, teams that you reasonably believe could and should be in contention later in the season. In the Tennessee Titans and the Kansas City Chiefs. 100%. Those are the teams that you, and maybe not the Kansas City Chiefs, because the Chiefs. I think that they are firmly in that Super Bowl conversation, right? Correct. And this becomes about expectations, something we've talked about over on the Power Report about how the flow of this season has kind of changed. You know, much like we talk about Elf and how they're the the Miami Dolphins fans and their their expectations for the season have changed as they stack up some of these wins against better teams, or when they hang in games against teams like Seattle. I think our expectations shifted. From a four and zero start, Josh Allen being talked about as the cream of the crop of these young quarterbacks, to just a ridiculous plummet, and it's due to a number of factors. But a plummet, I think, in terms of you, will you go two and two? But those two losses were just emotionally, I think. I think you can't lose the Super Bowl in one week, right? You don't lose the Super Bowl in week six, no. But you can take an emotional beating, and I think that's where Bills fans are. I think right now we're looking at this football team going, okay, these tiers as far as who's who this season are starting to establish themselves. You have a handful of teams in the AFC that are starting to look like actual, like, Hey, I could go win it all. You've got the Steelers. You've got the Steelers Chiefs. and Chiefs. They've probably separated themselves from everybody else. Beyond that, you've got the Ravens. You've got the Titans. You've got who else? Who else is at that upper that four five win threshold that you think plays a complete football style of football?
3: I think you you got it all. I mean, the only okay. I don't think the Raiders are in there, and you definitely can't put Cleveland in that conversation.
5: No, but so I guess my point is, is that one of these teams was a Super Bowl contender, something that at the you at one point fancied yourselves as is a Bills fan. And another one of them was against a team that you'd like to think that you're a peer to, which is a highly competitive team in your conference. Yeah, the Titans. And you got embarrassed by those teams. On
3: national TV.
5: On national TV in front of the whole country. So I think that that's the thing. Those are two losses, but they're demoralizing losses to the average fan. They really are. I know, Chris, you've watched me take them very hard.
3: Yes, I have. (laughs)
5: Enough so that the name Dick Geron comes up in my house, and my wife goes, "Oh, good lord!" I like when she now she knows when she hears me say the words Dick Geron, she, it's almost like she picks up Jack and like walks like fifteen feet away. She's like, "I don't want him to hear what ever's about to be said." I think you've said that the last four weeks. It's hard not to. It really is, especially after a twelve pack, and then. Over the course, so you have those two bad losses, but then you struggle in a third game against the NFL's worst team. Maybe the worst team in NFL history. You struggled to put them away. I don't know how you're supposed to come out of that as a reasonable human being who sees the empirical evidence in front of you as a good thing, right? Yeah. (laughs) You wouldn't call any of what's transpired, short of this Patriots win, a good thing.
3: No, none none of it's been good.
5: So with that in mind... Let's give the Bills an honest assessment over the last four months or four weeks. I'm looking at this and I'm saying things that I think need improvement. First and foremost, the linebacker play. The linebacker play of this team has been atrocious. Now, some of that does owe to injury. We said it in our preseason run up that the linebacker position was the one that scared the hell out of me the most because we had no depth, no established depth whatsoever. But then not only did the depth get tested, but then the depth got injured. And now you have a Sam linebacker in A.J. Klein playing out of position, trying to play a weak side linebacker role in nickel packages.
3: It's a recipe for disaster. What was the snap count this week? Wasn't it like 70% <sighs> of the snaps? Something he shouldn't even be neater. It, he shouldn't even be over 50% snaps for the game. I mean, well, I do. I mean, I remember that that uh, pass across the middle of James White and... James Weiss just shed him off and then ran for, like, another 30
5: yards. 78% of the defensive snaps A.J. Klein played. He's an he's a linebacker who doesn't look like he has it anymore. And yet he's starting for us now because all of our depth is injured, and it was never that deep to begin with. And I think we just found out how important that position is to the Buffalo Bills going forward or to to a Sean McDermott defense. Nothing works if the linebackers don't work. And I almost think that that speaks to why they, you know, they drafted Shaq in Carolina. They had Luke Keekley. They had Thomas Davis. They drafted Thomas Davis's eventual replacement in uh, Shaq Thompson and yet proceeded to keep uh, Thomas Davis around for two more seasons, specifically because they never wanted to be thin at, line- at impactful linebacker. Because that's, we're finding out that that's the straw that stirs the drink here for the Buffalo Bills on defense. Because our whole unit has struggled for as long as the linebackers have played poorly. I think that that's something that absolutely has to improve. I mean, there's no other way around it. They're getting beat in every phase of the game. Tremaine Edmonds has regressed from a Pro Bowl linebacker to a linebacker that some people are talking about benching. And to be honest, Chris, I don't find a whole lot of, I understand you don't ever want to bench talent, right? No. There's a reason he's your team captain. There's a reason that he made a pro bowl. But the way he's playing right now, it's hard to foresee him suddenly turning on a light switch and finding a second gear and being a different player. I mean, he's tentative. He's not tackling. He's not tackling well. I mean, I, I just don't know what to make of this. But I think that, that has been a major blow to the Buffalo Bills' chances here.
3: I think comes for, I mean, we'll get to it when the offseason hits, but my thing is, is going to be he's got two more years left on his rookie deal and Milano is going to be a free agent who you can't, I don't think he can keep both of them. So that's going to be something for the offseason. But, you know, for me right now, it's you're going to have to end up paying Milano because this is a huge regression
5: from Edmonds. I mean it's it, it's it's bad and it's hurting us in a lot of critical moments. You also look at the offensive line. In fact, I'll I'll throw the defensive line in there. Trench play for the Buffalo Bills has been weak at best over the last month. I'm willing to be critical of my own football team. I look at this and I say you have one side of the ball that's healthy and just not that effective. And you have another set of the ball that you're waiting to get better. I mean, we saw, as they get healthier, we saw flashes of it. Flashes of it this week against the New England Patriots of what the offensive line could be. But overall, when you look at what's gone on both, in both phases of the game, it's, it's hurting the ripple effect of those two things. I mean, Chris, we criticized the New York Jets for the way they built their football team. Remember when we said, hey, look at back when both teams had a ton of cap space. Yeah, we were in the same position. We, uh, we just got. twenty eighteen. It was we, the 2018, 2018 offseason on route to the 2019 regular season.
3: Yeah, we had just had our first year with rookie quarterbacks. And yep. we had all this money to spend. And we went inside out and they went outside.
5: They, in. they, they signed skill players and linebackers and all of these niceties. And the Buffalo Bills went out and said, OK, we want to we want to build the trenches. We're going to sign defensive ends. We're going to sign defensive tackles. We're going to sign a million guards. We're going to get the highest paid center in football. And I kept musing over this idea that somehow like it would be an interesting case study of which approach worked the best. And right now, if you based it just on last year, I'd say our approach was better but based this year. I don't know because they spent heavily on the defensive line. Everyone's been fairly healthy and they don't have a dominant game that you can point to and say, my defensive line showed up and won me that game. Maybe the Jets game in the second half. They showed up for a half of football.
3: Because of what the, the Jets had, I think, negative 40 yards yeah. total. But my thing with the defensive line, I mean, I don't because I'm not a football guy, but uh, I don't know if you know, we've had this thing called a pandemic. So we didn't have OTAs preseason so my only question would be is that are you are they not building chemistry?
5: Well, former offensive lineman Joe Thomas, he was the one who said that. Um, I can't remember what program it was on NFL Network, but he was talking about the the pandemic's effect on preparation, and he said the guys in the trenches who rely on pure physicality to do a lot of what they do are going to be the most hurt by by not having those live reps of a preseason to really get those repetitions in and really kind of ramp up to what gameplay was going to be. But we're in week eight, Chris. You're past that now. This isn't about preparation. This isn't about not getting enough reps to get your feet under you. And you're watching the ripple effect of that be that our defense is getting victimized. Quarterbacks are having longer to stand there in the pocket. Running backs are, are getting up to the second level because blockers are sealing off our linebackers who are struggling because more people are making it to the second level to block. I, I It's not good. Somebody's, and on the opposite side of the ball, running the football has been the bane of the Bills' existence over the last month. Except we on Sunday. To do it. Except on Sunday. We finally <laughs> broke through with the return of John Feliciano. It's the reason he was hero of the week on our Rockpile Report podcast. Because with the return of him... You saw not just his versatility, but his physicality, and the way the rest of the guys in that line responded to him. He's the only reason I have any any hope for that unit, because they've been playing. I, I'm not going to. They've been playing patty cake with guys out here instead of being the offensive line that we've gotten used to seeing over the last couple of years, where you watch the Buffalo Bills primarily drive the offense through the run. Nothing changed. The team got deeper on the offensive line. And somehow we've regressed wildly in terms of what we're capable of producing on that front. Those are two things that need a lot of improvement. In terms of what I like, Chris, what I like, I like the composure of Josh Allen. Really? I do. What I like is that we've got a quarterback who, in games when things aren't going well... Even these games we've lost, can you look at any one of them and definitively say, Josh Allen lost us that football game? No. How many times do you look out there and say, oh, well, Josh missed this receiver, or he did this, or he did that, or this is the reason? I mean, how many times are we saying that throughout 2018 and 2019?
3: A lot. He still, he's still, there's, depending on, on the game and time of the game, he is still trying to fight off hero ball.
5: He is, but... I think he's doing a much better job of it than he has to any point throughout his career. Yeah. I think that the addition of a lot of talent around him has made him more confident in his weapons. You don't see him just... One of the things I hated about Allen was when he would vacate a clean pocket early just because he didn't see anyone open. Something we criticize Cam Newton for in our podcast. Josh Allen isn't making those mistakes. Instead, you see a more confident Allen in the pocket. Even when things are going poorly, even when he's seeing pressure, he now has the confidence in the team around him so that in the fourth quarter when they need a drive against, and it's not working, but he's going out there against Tennessee, he's still standing in the pocket. He's not scrambling. He's not throwing across his body or lateraling the ball away wildly.
3: Yeah, he did that earlier in the uh, in the year. I forget who it was against. Might have been against the Chiefs. Where it was, it was in our, we were driving. I think we were almost to the red zone. He was, it was the Raiders. Ra- it's it Raiders.
5: Got, it's the play he got hurt. No, no, no,
3: not that. He pitched it out to uh, Isaiah McKenzie on the sideline, ah. and he like just threw it out of bounds. He was well past the line of scrimmage. Like, that's <laughs> that was like it was like he was trying to run an army option or something.
5: What I love is that in the face of adversity. Allen's composure hasn't wavered. I like that. I do. Because this is a kid who needs that. And I need to see that from him if he's going to be the guy that we ultimately shove a boatload of money towards. I think one of the other things I think is satisfactory is that the overall health of this team is improving. I think it's worth noting that the slide that we hit this year coincides with a boatload of injuries kind of shoveled at our doorstep at once. I mean, what? In that Titans game... You lose John Brown. (laughs) You lose John Brown and Andre Roberts becomes one of your wide receivers. And he goes out there and causes almost an immediate turnover on Josh Allen's first pass attempt.
3: Did you really have to throw Roberts out there?
5: No. I pray to God not. I pray to God there's someone on the practice squad. I I would have rather seen Isaiah Hodgins. I would have rather seen you, Chris. I would have rather seen you out there trying to catch passes Just than Andre Roberts. Just
3: Singletary, put Singletary in the slot instead of
5: Roberts. I would agree with that. I think that, I think the health of this team is improving because you don't see that anymore. You're seeing Josh Allen's weapons kind of return. I mean, I, I don't know what the game plan would have been against New England given that it was what? 40 mile an hour winds and rain? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what the game plan would have been if weather hadn't impeded it, but it was the first time that he had a fully healthy wide receiver stable in weeks. And you saw what that did. You see the line getting healthier with the return of John Feliciano. Yep. You see the running back stable getting healthier with Zach Moss. Zach Moss just finally, had two touchdowns. Finally back and looking comfortable. I think that I think that if there's anything you can look at as being good about the last month is that. We hit a a patch of sizable injuries. Levi Wallace, our number two cornerback, he's back on the field. You're getting healthy. At the midpoint of a season with six wins, you're getting there. And I think that's worth its weight in gold, especially for a football team that they're going to need all the help they can get over the course of the next month of football. If I had to give a grade over the last four weeks, Chris, do you think me giving a C-plus is fair?
3: It seems fine for I you. Think it for you st- for me? You're,
5: you're generally very harsh. <laughs> what would you give this football team?
3: I'd just give it, I'd give it a B. I mean, her two losses were to the AFC championship game from last year. So, I mean, we're still trying to figure out if they can size up with the NFL's best. And, you know, we can't have performances like Tennessee and Kansas City again because we know we're going to see... One, if not both of those teams again in the playoffs. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over three million businesses right now indeed is offering our listeners a free 75 dollar credit to boost your job post which means more quality candidates will see it fast try indeed out with a free 75 dollar credit at indeed.com slash blue wire this is their best offer available anywhere go right now to indeed.com slash blue terms and conditions apply offer valid through december 31st Can
5: you see now chris As we sit here and we talk about the Buffalo Bills and where the Buffalo Bills have to improve over the next quarter of this season, if they really want to accomplish anything, one of the things you got to remain cognizant of is the fact that there's a team out there, still, even having just beaten the New England Patriots, that's just waiting to catch us, and that's why they can't rest on their laurels. And here to talk with us about it from Three Yards Per Carry Podcast is Mr. Alf Arriaga. How are you doing tonight, sir? Doing great. <laughs> I bet you are. I bet you are, sir. Let's let, let's jump right into this. You know, the theme of the night is quarterly reports. But before we get to that, I, we have to talk about this. You're Miami Dolphins. You won 28-17 to 17 against the Rams. It was the first start for Tua Viola in a Miami Dolphins uniform. You heard <laughs> the clip we opened the show with from Colin Cowherd. Yes. Now, I know that you have been waging some, something of a war against, uh, you know, accurate, what, do you, what do you want to call it, crimes against your football team or the
6: national media? Now, <laughs> yeah, uh, just, you know, general ignorance. So
5: when you hear that, what's your knee-jerk reaction?
6: My knee-jerk reaction is that Colin Cowherd got caught in the air and he needed to have some type of new take because it's complete nonsense. So, So what's his new take? He's too small? Okay, so is Russell Wilson small? There's pictures going around the internet. He's taller than Russell Wilson. He has a picture, and we're talking about Tua Tunga Bailoa here. He has a picture with Drew Brees. He's taller than Drew Brees. He's definitely taller than Kyler Murray. So, you know, and it's not like he's frail. Uh, like, I heard that one, too. Oh, he looks small in his uniform. Oh, great. So our uniform makes you smaller than 220 pounds, which is kind of cool, you know?
5: I didn't know... Yeah. That, I know that our
6: uniforms make make us look sleek, you know?
5: Well, I was going to say, well, I mean, the only criticism of a player's uniform and how that relates to the way they play football I've ever heard and found to be valid is uh, Kiko Alonso and the, yes. uh, the the lady shirt that he used to wear while he was playing for you guys. Yeah, <laughs> th- th- I think that perfectly underscored the way he played football. But otherwise, I've never heard. Of you, the way you fill out your uniform, being a valid football criticism. I mean, Chris is our resident fashionista, and I don't even think he would bring that up.
3: No, that Kiko's Kiko's jersey is uh, that's a, a pretty good reference. Also, like uh, uh, Michael Bennett, how he wore his sleeves all the way up—that's that's always <laughs> been annoying to me.
5: But so, but, but would that be a valid football criticism? No, no, and it, it, this this is all nonsense. So let's talk about what you did see. I mean, first of all, are there any of his criticisms that might be somewhat valid?
6: Well, I think he didn't. Uh, he left some yardage out on the field, but you got to really attribute it to the play calling, the score, and then four drops. There was four big drops, and that's not counting the 50-50 ball on the deep pass to Gaseki. Which was a disappointment that he didn't get it. Uh, a lot of the beat writers are saying, "Look, you can't. You know, the, the DB made a great play on it, but that was Darius Williams, who's five nine. Gasecki is six feet six, so you expect your guy to win that fifty fifty ball, not let it, you know, fall to the ground."
5: I saw it. I thought it was going to be an interception, to be honest
6: with you. Yeah, because he he put it right on there, and Gasecki got both of his hands on it, and then the guy just ripped it out of there you know which is not something that you expect to happen. So if you add all that stuff up, you know, you're talking about 72 74% completion percentage, but they really just called off any offense they were going to run because it was an avalanche in the second quarter. It, it, the game went from 7-7 and kind of competitive to 28-7 in a matter of 4 minutes maybe. Jared So off. <laughs> you know, and and then they just they just For the rest of the game, they basically just ran out the clock the rest of the game.
5: Well, as you should. And I mean, I've I've already seen the criticisms where people are saying, well, he, he threw for less than 100 yards. He's not that good. He's not this. He's not that. Well, first of all, if the game script says you don't have to, why would you ask your rookie quarterback playing in his very first game? Why would you want him trying to put the team on his back when clearly the team came into that game with a mission? to make life as easy as possible for Tua Viola. In fact, if anything, I'd applaud Brian Flores for getting the other phases of that team, your defense, your special teams units, getting them ready to play for that game and getting them up to a degree that they would go out there and play like that. Yeah. Kudos to him for being one hell of a coach and kind of having building that veteran team that understands, hey, this kid is going to need our help, so let's go have a game. Let's go... Let's go beat up Jared Goff. Really beat him up for a couple quarters. <laughs> let's, let's make him quit. And if we do that, it's going to make our young quarterback's life a lot easier, which is exactly how it played out. Now, I guess that brings us to our quarterly reporting, because in the first quarter of this season, we talked on this podcast about things you wanted to see improve. And one of the things we talked about is being, you know, is we broke it down into categories of satisfactory, needs improvement, incomplete, and so on and so forth. One of the things that you said you were fairly happy with was the coaching. Has that improved, if that's at all possible, over the course of the last month?
6: Yeah, I would say so. Uh, they're they're getting trickier by by the game. And to start the season they seemed a little bit vanilla, and especially if you remember that Buffalo game, that's a pretty good you know frame of reference. They were vanilla then, too. They decided, okay, we're just going to play a lot of man coverage all game, and when Byron Jones goes out, we're not going to try to trick the Buffalo Bills. We're just going to put in the youngest player in the NFL and put him to to cover Stephon Diggs (laughs) all over the field one-on-one. That wasn't smart, okay? Since then, of course, Byron Jones has come back, and since Byron Jones and Xavier Howard have been in the lineup together, the defense has given up 13 points a game and a 65 quarterback rating to their opponents and a league best 4.9 yards per attempt. So, you know, arrow up, especially on the defensive side of the ball.
5: I mean, you guys are the league's number one scoring defense, which is, I think that's saying something considering the teams you've played. I mean, you faced the Patriots, you've played the Seahawks, which that's the Bills opponent this week that everyone's hand wringing Mm -hmm. about. You played the 49ers. I mean, the 49ers have taken a beating lately, so it's hard to project what that could be. But you guys have done fairly well getting through, ai would say, because your schedule is fairly even. When you look at the Patriots, the Patriots are a team that had some of the hardest matchups of their season kind of stacked at the beginning. The Bills are kind of now hitting a rough patch of games, whereas you guys can have them kind of evenly sprinkled out. So. I'd say that that's a pretty good measure of your team. I don't think it's been inflated by, you know, the type of competition you're facing the, f- to hold that here at the halfway point of the season from where you were last year is just a five win team. I think that's pretty remarkable. What else would you say is something that you feel has worked out really well, or at least has improved from the first four months of the season to now?
6: It's mainly been on the defensive side of the ball. And it's the the linebackers. The linebackers have gotten healthy, especially Calvin Hoy, who's who was in and out of the lineup all year until the last couple of weeks, and they found something in Andrew Van Ginkel, who's been who's been a, a find coming off the edge for them. And of course, you know you got to give credit to Jerome Baker, who who's had his moments before, but he's finally found a, a role on this defense, playing you know outside linebacker and rushing the passer. And, of course, Emmanuel Ogba, Ogba, who has six and a half sacks right now. And we expected him to be pretty good, but we didn't expect him to be this good, where he's making plays every single week. So, yeah, and, you know, it's it's basically everybody on the defense and the unsung heroes. Like, nobody talks about him, but Eric Rowe might have might be our best defensive player this year. He's not the... He's not Xavier Howard and he's not Byron Jones, which, you know, those are two of maybe top five corners in in the league. But Eric Rowe has erased every tight end that he's come across this season. And he almost had another pick six this past week. So, you know, he's making plays all over the place. So everything's gone well on the defensive side of the ball this year.
5: So now you guys are a four-win team. You're in second place in the AFC East. You have a two-game lead on the third-place team, and you're only two games behind the leader. Well, two-and-a-half games, we'll call it, because you'd still have to get over the top. So with that in mind, there's obviously some things here. I mean, You, you guys have a lot going for you, which has to be encouraging. Dolphins fans, I and mean, Chris, if you're a Dolphins fan right now or you're a fan as you are, I know you are, of the Bills-Dolphins rivalry being the thing to watch in the AFC East. I mean, you've talked about it many times. So you feel like that's more of a real rivalry than the Bills Patriots ever were.
3: Uh, yeah, because we've always uh, alternated wins, except for the seventies. But that's what I'm looking forward to as the season, you know, kind of winds down. I think the I think the second to last week of the season we got the Dolphins, and the way both teams have been playing, that's going to be a great matchup. Could be for the division.
5: Well, exactly. So there's a lot here if you're a Dolphins fan, you got to be feeling great about the direction of things, about the fact that your team is actually making good on a promise that hey, this isn't just going to be another rebuilding year. But what else out there would you point to and say that if you really want to be the team that now because we talked about it here, that expectations changed earlier this season with the winning that mm. your team has done and some of the wins that you've gotten? Now beating the Rams and the 49ers, two teams that are supposed to be in that NFC West are supposed to be fairly good. They both have solid I and mean, the 49ers are injury just riddled right now. But the Rams are no slouch. Buffalo can attest to that. What needs to improve as this goes on for you guys to make good on the promise of what you started here?
6: I think they gotta, they gotta get this running game going. And this is kind of breaking news. And I don't know if you guys know about this, but Miles Gaskin has like an MCL injury. He is out for the next three weeks. Wow. So the Dolphins traded for DeAndre Washington, which is a running back for, for Kansas City. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you've watched DeAndre Washington before, he was pretty good with Oakland. He was really good as a rookie three years ago. Mm -hmm. But I guess he goes into the backfield now and Matt Breda gets elevated as the starter. What's odd is that Jordan Howard is still inactive every single week since the Buffalo Bills game, so I don't know what they're going to do there, but I believe this should be a short-term upgrade. And then Gaskins, hopefully Matt Brady just takes control of this job because he's been good all year. Whenever he's touched the ball, he's made big big plays. Gaskin is just a steady performer who's coming off probably his worst game of the year because he fumbled inside of his our own 10-yard line, and he dropped what would have been the, the play that would have iced the game, which was Tua going empty and throwing that little option route over the middle. I don't know if you saw it. He caught it, then he got hit, and he dropped it. He catches that ball. We kill the last three minutes of the game.
5: <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at the numbers right now. Just looking at it, you guys are 28th in the NFL in rushing yards. Which mm-hmm. th- we bemoan the Buffalo Bills. I mean, up until this week, our rushing attack has been fairly stagnant, and yet we have more rushing yards than that. So I think that says something about the direction of things here. And what else over the course of the last month? There's got, what else out there have you seen that kind of grinds your gears in terms of? Something that needs this team really does need to continue working on because nobody's perfect well, at this point.
6: Preston Williams was, you know, arrow up, especially after the San Francisco game where he looked like a number one wide receiver, and since then he's had some lapses, and he's also coming off what is has to be his worst game of the year. Although you know he caught two his first pass on an RPO, he dropped two third down conversion passes, so you know he needs to come down with those things. And another thing is he he needs to get on the same page with, with Tua Tonga-Bailoa. There was a play earlier in the game where Tua recognized that he had single coverage on the outside, again with Darius Williams, who's 5'9". Preston Williams is 6'5". And Tua actually led him when Preston Williams was trying to fade to try to induce a jump ball. He wasn't trying to run past him. That was bad recognition by Tua Tonga law. If he lays it up, from he might catch it at the five yard line, and who knows? Maybe he drags Darius Williams with with him into the end zone. So it's the chemistry, also.
1: Well, you and know, that's going to take time. Develop
6: some of it. Yeah, that's th- in short order.
5: That's going to take time, and unfortunately, it's not something you guys have a lot of because your schedule it gets a little sticky here coming up. But with that said, big picture, you know, we talked to you at the last quarter poll of the NFL season. And you guys were coming off, what were you, one and three over the first mm-hmm. month of football? And you gave them a kind of a rough grade at the time that I thought. I thought you were being a little hard on your team. You're three and oh. You're three and oh over the last month. So, with that in mind, even with the warts that are there, what would you say the grade that you have for the Miami Dolphins at this point over the last month of football would be?
6: I would say a plus because the last three games have ended sometime between the 12 minute mark and the eight minute mark of the second quarter. Oh. All three games, all three games had no danger whatsoever in the second half. I understand, especially Ben Bolin, who covers the, the New England Patriots for the Boston Globe. Like that's just ridiculous. I tried to explain to him in, in high level math. If your offense drives 50 yards and throws three pick sixes in a row to me, you're going to outgain me 150 yards to zero, but I'm (laughs) going to be up 21 to nothing. And that's essentially what happened in this game against the Rams. Is it possible that they had 300 yards of garbage offense? That's exactly what they had (laughs) because they didn't score anything with it. They kept turning it over. Or or going for it on fourth down and not getting it against our defense. So yeah, it's none of these games have had any danger. This game was twenty eight to seven, almost right right before the half, and then they failed on a, a field goal attempt late in the game to try to draw within one score. So there was never really any danger in this game. And of course, you know the Jets. It was twenty four to nothing, but it was twenty one to nothing early in the second quarter, and you know that one was over. And the 49er game was 30-7 to midway through the second quarter. So, yeah, A-plus for this second quarter.
5: <laughs> Chris, are you just a little jealous hearing him talk about this?
3: Uh, not really. It
5: just makes me uh, look forward to that game in December. Man, I'll tell you what. Your yard work, see these yard work things that you're putting out? Was this your longest one this week, the longest one you've done so far?
6: I believe so. I, I think so. Yeah, because people wanted to see what they were doing with with Tua, and it was completely different than what they were doing with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So why don't you does, tell everybody? The wh- offense does look different.
5: Well, tell everybody where they can find it, where they can follow you on social.
6: Okay, you can follow us at Three Yards Per Carry on Twitter, and of course, you could get our podcast anywhere you get your podcast, and that's the number Three Yards Per Carry. It's right there on the YouTube channel for Five Reasons Sports Network.
2: And last
5: but not least. <laughs> We have, I mean, God, this feels, Chris, this almost feels cruel, right? No, it doesn't. <laughs> I thought <laughs> I was the petty one here. Here to talk about the quarterly report for the New York Jets, we have Mr. Scott Mason of the Play Like a Jets podcast, fresh off their 35-9 to loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. Scott, are you okay over there? I, 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 You seem like a pragmatic enough guy that you didn't need a welfare check, but I, I was concerned.
7: <laughs> well, Drew, I'm kind of sad for the people that bet on the Jets to cover the spread because they gave them some hope. For a while, it looked like the Jets had a decent chance to cover that spread, and then that last touchdown at to Tyree Hill cost a lot of people a few bucks, and they should have known better than to bet on the Jets plus points to begin with, but that was really the only thing I could think of at the end of that game.
5: I was, I, earlier I told Chris, even though we just, I I blame our previous podcast last week when I told that story about why I don't gamble on sports. Now it's been a thing in my head and I started to feel that old itch when I saw the line between you guys and the Chiefs, because in my head I go, that's such a big line. I'll pick you up. We'll go to the casino. I was like, there's no way. There's no way the Jets don't cover that spread, because that's the biggest spread I've seen in my adult life in an NFL football game. And I'm really happy. (laughs) I'm really happy that I, I resisted that urge, because, man, did that not go your way. So with that said, we're looking at now having completed the second month of the NFL season. <laughs> we brought you guys in here to when we brought everybody in here to do the quarterly reports. The first time, we didn't know just how bad things were going to get for the Jets. And now mm-hmm. that we're standing here, I feel like to give you guys a true quarterly report. I and mean, Chris, you went to school when you when you were in school. I'm sure you had like a kid or two in your in your grades. Who were, Are we talking elementary school? Picture elementary school, fifth, sixth grade, where you know that that kid maybe comes from a broken home. Maybe you know his father's a drinker and his mom's a truck driver, and there's just nothing good going on there. So the teachers don't really give like a quarterly report. They're like, well, he's trying." <laughs> they write it to like, "Hey, your kid. <laughs> yeah, he might have set a fire in a classroom, and uh, I don't know. Maybe he's maybe he's struggling to read." But he's here, so there's that, and they try to put a smile on everything because it's. I just don't know what to do for the New York Jets at this point, Scott, and I'm hoping you can help me. Like, I don't want to bag on your football team every week we have on the show, but I know that (laughs) you, I know you've said over and over again that this is a great time to be involved with the process because there's things to talk about. Finally, I mean, your team with sellers at the trade deadline. You mean multiple trades? There's the losses are stacking up, but the coach isn't getting fired. I mean, there's so much to unpack here. So as we look at the last month of football and what we can take away from it, first of all, is there anything satisfactory that came out of this?
7: Yeah, there's some good things. Believe it or not, the duo up front of Quinn and Williams and John Franklin Myers has been really, really good. And Quinn, Quinn and Williams has continued to progress towards becoming one of the best players on defense in the entire league, particularly at the position that he plays defensive line and John Frank John Franklin Myers has been a really nice addition. He's somebody that was a big surprise to. No one expected this from him. Beyond that, Bryce Huff, he didn't do anything this past game, but the previous couple of games, the undrafted free agent edge rusher out of Memphis, had shown some flashes, so that's good. Denzel Mims is finally back, and even though he was only targeted three times against the Chiefs, he was still the team's leading receiver in Week 8, and he made one outstanding catch where he had to completely contort his body to make the play. So he already is showing you that he can be a keeper for the long haul. Makai Becton, when he's been healthy, he missed a few games with the last two he's been back, has continued to be dominant. Greg Van Roten, the guard, they brought him from Carolina, Has started to pick it up a little bit. He had been really bad early in the season. Last few games, he's been much better in pass protection. So all isn't lost. Now, there's a hell of a lot more negative that I could say, but as far as positive, there are at least a few things there that are, that are good. And now we're going to start to see some of the younger players. Some of those guys are coming back from injury. Bryce Hall, the fifth-round corner out of Virginia, he's going to be back probably sometime within the next few weeks. Javari Zaniga, the edge rusher from Florida, he's back. We're starting to see Michael P. Ryan carry the ball a little bit. So you're seeing more from these draft picks, and, and that's a plus. Let's Again, talk. Again, I'm trying, I'm trying to put a positive on this, but as you know, far more negatives. Well,
5: of course, obviously. And listen, you're talking to, we are, our brand is the pettiest, harsh drinking Bills podcast <laughs> in existence. So. There's an avalanche of things I could pile up at your doorstep if you wanted me to. But that's not what I'm here to do, Scott, because I like you. And honestly, I'm into fun and interesting sports conversations. Makai Becton, when you guys drafted him, he was a player that I said, I kind of gave the old, like, he's a fart in the wind. It's not going to matter because he's this kind of raw Talent at tackle. They're gonna rush him out there too soon. He needs too much refinement. There's no way he's going to be establish himself as an upper echelon talent out of the gate. And the sinkhole of talent around him is probably just gonna drag him down to hell. And I I mean, if you want to get me a crow, I'll find some Franks Red Hot. I'll slather it up and I'll eat it because Makai Becton <laughs> is an impressive tackle prospect. He mm-hmm. has been one of the lone bright spots for the New York Jets this year. He's incredible to watch. If you're a guy like me, like I, I, I don't count myself as the smartest football guy out there. I'm not a, am not a film junkie. I'm not a guy who knows every single thing about X's nose. but Chris, I know a fa- I know enough that I can call some I can call plays as they're happening. Yeah, while mm-hmm. we're watching the game.
3: Yeah, but you're also not smart in general.
5: <laughs> I have that working against me, but my eyes tend to fixate on line play. And when I watch Beckton play, I see a young kid who has really, I mean, he's got cinder blocks for hands. And I watched mm-hmm. out of this Chiefs game, one of the things that stood out to me was just the beating that Makai Becton is a young rookie who's still raw, who still needs refinement by a good coach with a good staff. He handed Frank Clark, former pro bowler, all pro defensive end Frank Clark, he, hand, he ate his lunch. He handed him his ass multiple times on Sunday. Knowing that that's a thing that you have in your back pocket, how happy are you as a Jets fan? I get it. you got to watch the rest of this just shit show. Proceed on. (laughs) But how happy are you with him specifically?
7: Well, just to backtrack a little bit, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast yet, but the end of December, so around Christmas time of last year, somebody told me to take a look at Makai Bacton. And they said, have you seen this kid from Louisville? I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Who watches Louisville, right? (laughs) So I watched him, and i got to be honest, the stuff I saw him do to people would probably be illegal in 49 states. (laughs) Which state it would be legal in, I don't know. I'm not sure what goes on in Montana. But the point is, (laughs) Mekai Beckton was just destroying dudes. He was throwing them 20 feet in the air. I'd never seen anything like it. And I just remember starting to talk about him. On Twitter a little bit, and even on the podcast, I had said, here's a guy that the Jets should definitely target with their second-round pick. He looks like a monster. He's going to need some refinement because they haven't done a ton of pass pro sets at Louisville, and he still needs some work with his hands and his footwork. But boy, look at him in the run game, and he's just such a freak of nature athletically and size-wise. of course, was... At the Senior Bowl in Mobile, I remember Clayton Smarslock, who comes on with me every year. He goes down there for uh, the website that he writes for, which I can't remember which one it is at the time. I'm sorry, Clay. But he called me to do a daily update for the podcast, and we looked at Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft, and it was everybody in Mobile was like, what? It had Becton going fourth. So it had him as the top tackle in the draft, and then that was when you realized, okay, I wasn't the only one that was on to this kid. There were others, and the idea that he was going to be available in the second round—he was no way he was going to be available. Now you started to wonder would he even be available when the Jets picked at 11. And the more you watch this tape, the more it was just unbelievable. I remember Stephen White, who used to play defensive line briefly for the Jets, but mostly for Tampa Bay, and now he's writing for SB Nation, or at least he was at the time. Did a film review, and he was talking about how watching. Becton reminded him of Willie Rofe. Now, you guys know this because you're old enough to remember, but Willie Rofe is probably the best tackle of the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. And the story that, that Stephen White told that's become legendary is Louisiana Tech was playing Alabama. This was, I believe, in 92 or 91 or 92. And Willie Rofe was tackled for Louisiana Tech. He went up against... Uh, Eric Eric Curry and John Copeland, both of whom went in the top ten that year from Alabama, two defensive linemen. And Rolfe kicked their asses all day single-handedly, just threw them around. And what Stephen White said was, you watched Becton's film, and yeah, he had some stuff to fix, but he was somebody that, much like Rolfe, was just flinging guys around in a way that you never saw anybody else do. And if you had anybody that was even worth ten cents as an offensive line coach, you could get this guy to pro ball and all pro level. And if you really refined him, he could be an all-timer. And Joe Blewett said something similar. It's funny because when Joe first looked at the tape, he and I had a little bit of a disagreement. I was higher on Beckton than he was. But I think he changed his tune when he watched the All-22s because the All-22s showed his footwork a little clearer. And he said, I don't think Becton's footwork is as bad as I originally thought. And your, your friend, Brett Coleman, Who's one of my favorites. He comes on the podcast with me quite a bit, too. He does the film room, as you guys know. He originally had said that he thought Beckton wasn't worth the 11th pick, and he would take those three wide receivers, Ruggs, Judy, and Lamb over him. But then he, again, much like Joe, watched the All-22s and realized he was working with Duke Manyweather and changed his mind and said, you know what, from what I saw, this kid's floor isn't anywhere near as low as I thought it was, and if he's working with Duke, he's going to be ready to go day one. And that's really what's happened. I mean, he surprised even me. I didn't think he would come this far this quickly. I was pretty confident that he was going to be a dominant tackle. I thought his floor was much higher than people were saying. A lot of people were making it out like his floor was league-worst tackle or something. I thought his floor was say, a jumbo size Kelvin Beecham, like an okay tackle at worst. But as Joe Blewett said, if you could get his technique to even average, he was going to be a pro bowler right away. And then if you went beyond that, he could be a gold jacket guy. That's how physically talented and, and freakish he was. You saw that at the Combine, the way he ran a five one forty at his size, which is nuts. And then you look at what Joe Thomas said. He thought he could be a generational talent. So to see him do this so quickly – is just amazing, and, and it's one of the few bright spots that there's been this season being a Jets fan is watching this kid become a guy that, quite frankly, you know, the Jets have had some pretty good left tackles over the years, Winston Hill, who's in the Hall of Fame, Marvin Powell, who at one time was arguably the best left tackle in the sport, the Bricashaw Ferguson, who is a multiple-time Pro Bowler, good player, not great, but still pretty good. And Beckton has a chance to be better than all of those guys, which is amazing when you consider that, like I said, Winston Hill is in the Hall of Fame and Marvin Powell was one of the best tackles of his era. So just seeing him at this young age do this, it makes you wonder what he's going to be able to do when he really refines his technique. He could be practically unstoppable.
5: I mean, one of, one of the highlights for me of the year is going to be during that San Francisco game that was just a bloodbath for you guys watching him truck his man and another man to the ground. They run behind him for a, something ridiculous, like a 12-yard gain. And at that point in the game, it was their largest gain of the day. And he turns to the sideline and just starts beating his chest like, <laughs> let me do this, damn it. For the love of God, Adam Gase, let me do this thing. And obviously things don't pan out like that because you have Adam Gase as a head coach. Now, under the needs (laughs) improvement category that we've been talking about with everybody, I feel like we could devote not even just another podcast, but a whole. Do you remember when Discovery Channel had the uh, Planet Earth series? Sure. Okay, we could do a whole mini series spanning eight nights about everything that needs (laughs) improvement with the New York Jets right now. So, I'm not going to do that to you. Instead, what I want to talk to you about before we have you give your grade on the Jets for the last four weeks is your friend, a guy that you have just, you're enamored with in the New York media scene, Mr. Joe Benito. (laughs) He is retiring from radio. And as Chris has laid it out for me, it sounds like he's about to be replaced by an ex convict.
3: Yeah, right.
5: So if an ex-convict who just got out... like This is the story as it lays out in my head. I cracked some jokes about it earlier.
3: How about I tell you this? Do you know where this ex-con started his radio career? Where? WGR.
5: Oh, no. (laughs) So there's even a buffalo tie. Correct. A guy gets out of prison, goes to work in radio, forces out a 67-year-old man who overuses the word bro. Is that or is that not... (laughs) a movie that takes place in New York City. like You can't write that. That's that, that's a New York City story.
7: Well, here's what I will say. Uh, Craig Carton, it's interesting. First of all, to be fair, Benigno was going to retire anyway. He's been wanting to retire. He's been talking about it for a couple of years now. And he had a good run. I mean, what people forget about Joe is 25 years ago, he got his first big break. He had been a caller to the station for years. He won one of those fan appreciation shows And came in and I think he guest hosted a show and they liked him and he went and took a broadcasting course. And the next thing you know, he got an opportunity to do the overnights and then he worked himself up from there. And his gimmick was always the guy at the bar who, as you said, would yell bro and would tell you about something that happened in 1971 or whatever. And he was that passionate, angry fan that would bro. My teams are terrible, that kind of thing. And with Craig Carton, yeah, I'm not surprised that he started WGR because he's a Syracuse grad, so that makes sense. But Carton, it's interesting. If you look up what happened with him, and I'm not going to get too deeply into it because that's, you know, that's for you to look up, I guess. This is a football podcast. We don't need to get into too much of what happened. But long story short, he got into a gambling wormhole and couldn't get out, and he ended up going to jail for three years. But the thing about Craig Carton is, as a guy who was in radio, myself, for quite a while, you can spot when a guy is a unique talent. And Craig Carton is not all that knowledgeable about sports, if we're being honest about it. He's sort of a morning shock jock type of guy, but he's really good at it. And I think that with WFAN in a huge ratings battle right now with ESPN Radio and them getting beaten by ESPN and Michael K. Carton is one of the very few people that can probably help WFAN beat ESPN in the afternoons because he's somebody that can hold an audience and he's got an established track record in the market. 10 years, he and Boomer and were number one in the mornings. So I'm I'm curious to see how this pans out. I did think it was funny when Carton said uh, in his first appearance back that for everybody that's upset with him, Entercom and WFAN decided to give him this second chance. And if you think that you should have had the chance over him, he was gone for three years. If you couldn't raise your game in three years, then that's on you. And I, that was typical carton. It made me laugh.
2: That
5: is phenomenal. Now, why don't you give us your grade as graciously as you can for the Jets over the last four weeks and tell people where they can find you on social media?
7: So, the grade I'm going to give, if I may quote the great Ray Lucas, it's an F. <laughs> because what else could you really give the Jets? Uh, they, they've looked a little bit better the last two weeks, which sounds weird considering they just got beaten by 26 points by the Chiefs. But the line that I keep saying is it reminds me of when I was working a Stony Brook basketball game and they were playing Kentucky and they lost by 40 points. And in the post game presser, the coach of Stony Brook was asked what happened. And he said, what can I tell you? They have McDonald's All Americans and I've got guys that eat at McDonald's. And that's what it felt like watching the game because you had the Jets who had zero talent and the Chiefs who had you know, who had the most stacked team in the AFC probably and perhaps even in the league all the way around. So I thought that they at least hung in there for a half, which is more than I expected. But, yeah, I mean, you have to give it an F. The coaching has been absolutely terrible. Uh, so many things, what they've done, have made no sense. We've documented this many times the the only bright spots have been what i said quinnon williams is blossoming john franklin myers has played really well becton has been nasty and you've seen denzel mims the last couple of weeks it's starting to make some plays now that he's been back from injury and that's important because here's a guy that missed the entire training camp and the first six weeks of the season and he's already looking like a solid pro so that's a win but other than that the O-line, it's better than last year, but that's not really saying much. That's like being the thinnest kid at fat camp because the O-line last year was so bad, and the defense is continuing to play pretty poorly. The, the good thing is Marcus May is finally back at free safety where he belongs, so that's a little bit better. But overall, the, the quality of the roster is one of the worst in the league, if not the worst. The coaching is the worst. If not the worst, it's right there at the bottom with Gase. And you're essentially just saying, okay, eight more games. Let's see where this leads. Let's hope the young players look good. And that's all you really have to look forward to. And we're already starting to talk draft season on the podcast. So that's pretty much, I'll tell you where, you, where the Jets are at right now. And there's no other grade to give but an S. As far as where you can hear these amazingly uplifting and positive insights that I just gave you on a daily basis, you can listen to or you can download podcasts Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, the whole deal. You can find me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And like I said, we're starting to do draft talk now. So quick rundown of what we do. Mondays, it's the post-game report with Andy Vasquez at NorthJersey.com. We go through the game, all the quotes from the locker room, the injury updates, all that. On Tuesdays, we have – there's always next year with Brian Bassett. So him and his buddies, Travis Milton and Josh Conrad – they do a fun-themed Jets show. So they talk Jets football, but they play fun fun games and throw in some humorous stuff. A lot of Golden Girls references, too, throughout the course of the show. So that's on Tuesdays. Wednesday, Manish, Manish Mehta of the Daily News comes on for a midweek news update. Thursdays, we've got Michael Nania coming on for uh, um, uh, Chronicles of Nania is what we call it, where he goes through all the advanced stats. But that's, we've been doing that Thursdays. Now that'll be Fridays because Thursdays we're doing draft centric stuff, alternating each week between Charlie Campbell, senior draft analyst at walterfootball.com and Connor Rogers, uh, Bleacher Report, who's also one of the best and is co host with Joe Caparoso on Badlands on Patreon. And then on Saturday and Sunday, Saturday it's the film with Joe Blewett, which he does these insane four hour film reviews, as you guys know. So we kind of, peel it back and give you more of a 20 to 30 minute range type of thing. And then on Sundays it's the pregame report with Chris Nimbly, which also includes a mailbag. So people send in questions that we answer and those questions can range from why is Adam Gase still the coach to what's your favorite type of specialty pizza. And then Walter Cherpinski comes on to give his gambling picks for that Sunday. And he's up by like four grand. So Drew, I think if you had his luck, you might not be against sports betting anymore. You might still be betting quite a bit if you had Walter's luck. So that's what we do (laughs) on a daily basis. And if you want to know why I sound like a guy who's about to hit the nut house, that's why, because I do seven days a week of Jets content.
3: Al Vartiaga, Scott Mason, Mike Tabate. Some of the best. (laughs) And
5: I can't believe they come on our show. Well, this is what I love, Chris. I showed you the other day. Somehow, when I go on Reddit, Buffalo Bills...
3: Yeah, you text me that.
5: This podcast gets more traction over there than ours does. How how
3: does it happen? Probably because you're more <laughs> negative on the other show.
5: <laughs> this is where people get a little bit of hopefulness. They get yeah. a little bit of
3: yeah, because it's more centric to the Jets, Patriots, and Dolphins. Now th- th- you're not blowing your negativity around mm-hmm. like you do on. Our other podcast.
5: Real talk, we've gotten more fan interaction because of this podcast than our other show, which I, I, I'm not going to lie to you, Chris. I'm I'm excited about that because this is a project that we were talking about in the offseason. We didn't know whether or not it would work. We didn't know whether a show like this could stand on its own.
3: Oh, I knew it. I knew it could because this idea came from Kyle and
5: Gary Smith. Yeah, Kyle and Gary Smith, who will be on the show next week. They will. Yes. Who are going to be on the show next week. But we knew, but, but I wondered like, for the first time, the division seemed like it could be up for grabs. It seemed like a good time to have a podcast about the division. And lo and behold, the Bills are running away with things. Miami's not far behind. The Patriots are having the worst season, and yet there's still stuff to talk about there. There's still meat on the bone. Even the Jets are still worth talking about because of the storylines there. This conf- this division, I mean, the AFC, the Bills have never been at the top of it. Miami hasn't been at the top of it in years. It's been a long time coming for a lot of these teams here in the AFC East to at least have relevance nationally. But at least we're interesting here within our own little within our own little bucket here. And so with that, I'm happy that people are excited about this podcast. Even fans who aren't aligned with the Buffalo Bills. Patriots fans are not tweeting at us or jumping into our mentions or following us on social media. It's phenomenal. I love it, and we love the support. And as we look forward, looking ahead to week nine. For the AFC East, you've got New England and New Jersey, or New York, I guess. The New York Jets. The battle for the basement is going to go down in the Meadowlands. Record-wise, two wins separate the Jets from the Patriots. When's the last time you could say that? Outside of the year they both went to the postseason.
3: I have no idea. I'm wondering if this game is going to have any, any kind of play that resembles the butt fumble. Pfft. <laughs>
5: The whole game might be one giant butt fumble. Like at this point, the way both teams are trending, it could end in disaster for everyone. And yet, you know that I'm going to have to have it on like the you know the previous channel button on your remote. Yes. We're not going to be watching it because we have other things to pay attention to. But with the beauty of the Sunday ticket is I'm going to be able to flip back and just see how bad that game is going. And it's going to warm my cold black heart either way. Miami, on the other hand, is slowly kind of keeping pace with the Buffalo Bills for the AFC's division lead. And they are away against the Cardinals. Now It's hard to win games in the NFL when your quarterback throws for less than 100 yards. Just ask Bills fans. Find a Bills fan and ask him. He can tell you. The Dolphins are going to head out west and try to start uh, And what they're hoping is the first of a win streak. His first win streak of his NFL career. I mean, they're going to go play the Cardinals. But Chris, given the way that offense can pile up points, I think it's going to take more this week than a special teams touchdown and a fumble recovery for a touch. Because even that might not be enough to outscore the Cardinals.
3: Yeah, it'll be a ni- it'll be a nice test for the Miami defense with uh, Kyler Murray and DeAndre
5: Hopkins. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a game, and I think it's a game where they're gonna have to look at Tua. You know, last week everyone said, "Oh, this is Tua's first test." I said it. I was wrong because while Tua played what you would expect a rookie to look like, especially a rookie who the staff didn't think was ready to play over the first six weeks. He played a game that... You mm. <laughs> played a game that... Chris, you throw for less than 100 yards and you fumble on your first attempt. It's hard to get past. Yeah, it is. You don't want to get in your own head. And yet, at the same time, now that quarterback has to keep pace with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins and that dynamic Arizona offense. It's going to be a real test of what that team is. And then the Buffalo Bills, home against the Seahawks. <laughs> Wow. Chris, just a buzzsaw on offense coming into our house. Kind of mad that I can't be there for it. Yeah. I'd love to see
3: Russell Wilson play. Love to see Russell Wilson play. We really
5: did catch the shaft this year. Yeah, we had a lot of great quarterbacks coming up here. Although you hit the nail on the head this weekend. During the Patriots game, Chris looks at me and says on Sunday, he goes, Drew. Oh,
3: yeah. Don't hate me on that. Like. Anybody listening, this, don't hate me on that, that I think of our all of our home games, there might have been two or three so far that have
5: had rain. So <laughs> not just rain, but cold rain, a lot of wind. Yeah, because like that is that are those the games you want to be attending? Ask yourselves. Obviously. Me being the ma- the maniac who sat through the entire Bills Colts blizzard game. See, Don't the- talk to me about what I will and won't tolerate. That's, that's
3: a better game to go to. I think a, a blizzard game is better to be at than a game that's
5: just cold rain. I'll say this. Having sat through that blizzard game, having shown up at 6 a.m. to tailgate without all of you by myself
3: I didn't have seasons that year.
5: single-handedly set up a tailgate for 25 people to keep them out of the blizzard oh I could get on my pedestal about this but even sitting through that game watching what we've <laughs> what we could have been subjected to over the last few weeks of home games that shit that shit whether those are miserable football games anyone who attended last year's Eagles game that's what you're looking at. Cold, wet, windy, you're not comfortable, everything sucks, and you just hope the team wins. Which, Chris, what are we now? What? What? Six and two. Six and two? How many of those cold, wet, gross games, if you sat through that Kansas City game, how pumped would you have been about it?
3: Uh, not that pumped, because <laughs> li- I would have been listening to you the whole time
5: In your negativity. I may or may not be one of the most negative human beings on the face of the earth. No one knows that, though. You do, because I shared it with you. So the Bills are going to play the Seahawks, and it's going to be 70 degrees. It's going to be seven degrees, partially sunny. It's going to be like a summer afternoon, which is insanity. But it would have been a nice game to be there for. And ultimately, this game is going to tell us a lot about what this Bills team can be. Chris, if they don't win, is anyone really crushed? No, is I w- anyone are anyone's hopes set on? Oh my God, the Bills have to win this game. No,
3: no. How many times have I brought it up before that one? the uh, The Doug Barone nine and seven season where we went four zero against the NFC, the <laughs> NFC, the NFC North that year. Like these NFC games don't matter. But if you want to be able to play in the Super Bowl, Seattle is definitely a team that you could see there.
5: Oh, absolutely. So this is a game against that upper echelon of teams that we've talked about when we speak about the hierarchy of football and where the bills lie. And yet there's enough cracks there in the foundations that you maybe think, well, if this is a team that's taking a step forward, maybe they can surprise us. Either way, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see. But Chris, we can't speculate about this anymore. We got to get the hell out of here. We've bored these people to death. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. That was our Incredible slate of guests tonight,
4: and this has been your AFC's Roundup.